Uh, Open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. We're continuing our series this morning on Christianity 101, just some foundational things that we need to know. And remember, the premise for this series is this. People make this statement. All religions are fundamentally the same. Have you ever heard somebody say that? And so our answer to that is they are fundamentally the same, except for what they teach about sin, salvation, heaven, hell, the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of the church and its members. Other than that, every religion is fundamentally the same. And so we've been looking at some of these fundamental, these basic doctrines so that we're able to communicate them well to others. This morning, I want to talk with you just for a little bit about salvation basics, salvation basics. And here in Hebrews is where we're going to get our start. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever thought something was great? Just great. The greatest day of your life. The greatest event that you ever had. The greatest hamburger that you've ever eaten. So I was in college. A friend of mine, Paul Rasmussen, we decided that we were going to have a great sports day. So somebody at work gave me two tickets to the Bulls-Pistons playoff game at the Chicago Stadium. So I went to watch Michael Jordan play against Isaiah Thomas. At Now, some of you young people, you might know who Michael Jordan is. Any of you know who Michael Jordan is? All right, so we're not that old yet. All right. So we were able to go to the stadium, and of course, we're in the nosebleed seats, and it was the old Chicago Stadium, and that place was rocking like you wouldn't believe. I mean, literally. You're standing up there. You were, the whole building was shaking. It was unbelievable. The Bulls won. It was fantastic. So that was an early game. We went and got something to eat, downtown Chicago, just had a blast, and then went over to Comiskey Field and watched the Yankees play the White Sox. So how's that for a sports day? Is that a cool sports day? Bulls fan, Yankees fan. That day was great. I loved that day. I remember a day that I took Laura to a restaurant called the Chesterfield in Chesterton, Indiana. Then we went out on the the dunes there on Lake Michigan. And I say I got down on my knee and proposed. She says I didn't get down on my knee. And I think that she was so amazed that I would condescend to ask her that she can't remember that's, that's what I think happened. But she said yes. Now, how many of you are, seriously, you're still shocked that she said yes. That day was great. I remember the day that Lydia was born. That she had as much hair as she does right now. She was born in Edmond, Oklahoma, our little Oki. And I remember that day. And I saw her for the first time. That was a great day. Then Jacob came and it was not so much. It was a great day. And I think all of us have those experiences where you look and you say, this is the greatest thing. I can't imagine anything better. I remember the first time I went up in the Alps, went up on the Jungfrau and the north face of the the Alps there. You just stand, you can't believe what it's like. It It was great. One of the greatest ministry experiences I had, I was telling Nathan about it, was being in Lebanon with Brother Fagali and preaching in Beirut and then going up in the mountains overlooking the Mediterranean Sea and preaching to 
national pastors from Egypt and Jordan and Sudan and um, Iraq and just these, these Muslim nations and these guys that are giving their lives for it. That was a great day. One of my greatest ministry experiences, I was over in Israel and with a friend, and it was just the two of us, and we went out on the Sea of Galilee, and we joined another group that was going off of just a, a tour, uh, off of a cruise ship. And so the man who was the pilot of the boat, he was a Messianic Jew, and he knew the missionary friend that I was with, and he said, would you like to say a word for the Lord? And my friend looked at me and said, you want to preach? Yes. So imagine being on the Sea of Galilee, preaching to a group of lost folks from off of a cruise ship. What, what an experience. How could you ever plan to be able to do that? It was a great day. Now look at this verse. I want you to think about something. The greatest thing in your life. Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast... And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. So what has been established is that God has laid down what is right, what is wrong, what the truth is, who Jesus Christ is, and now we're responsible for that. Now look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us now as we study the salvation basics. Lord, help us to understand some things today that will help us here, but will also help us in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that I want you to see here is that salvation is great. Salvation is great. Is there anyone here that's saved? Do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior? You know beyond the shadow of a doubt that heaven is your home? Some of these young people can say that for the first time because they got saved at camp. Oh, I got to say this, Pastor Nathan. When I asked you who I forgot that took off work to go to camp, Lydia and Mackenzie. How can I, first of all, how can I forget my own daughter, my favorite child? How, how can I forget that? All of you feel sorry for Jacob. That's because you don't know him. And, and then Mackenzie took off work, and I'm, I'm so thankful that they did that. But so many of these young people, they got some things settled this week about salvation. And let me tell you something. There's nothing greater in the world individually than your own personal salvation. Amen. Man, you can get the greatest job in the world, but that won't last for eternity. You can, you can find the greatest girl in the world and marry her, and that won't last through eternity. Amen? In, in heaven, we're like the angels, neither marry nor are given in marriage. You, can you notice the Bible says, till death do us part. Or actually, I don't know if that's in the Bible. We do it in the marriage thing. Till death do us part. That's Hezekiah 3.2. So, it's so amazing, the things that are great in our lives, and honestly, they truly are great. Right? They truly are great. Dave Cashman, my friend, when he found Sandy, that was the greatest thing that happened to him because there's no way he should have gotten her. Isn't that right? She's not going to answer. I don't know. All of us, we have this great experience, but there's nothing greater than our own personal salvation. And let me tell you something. There's nothing more important 
than your own personal salvation. Nothing is more important than your own personal salvation. It's very important. These are salvation basics. So the first thing that I want you to see is that salvation is great. Do you remember when you got saved? If you can't remember when you got saved, you you might want to make sure that you're saved. It got real quiet right there. If you can't remember when you got saved, you you might want to make sure that you're saved. Amen. It's very important. And I'll show you why in a second. But the first thing that I want you to see is that salvation is great. But the second thing that I want you to see is that salvation is necessary. Salvation is necessary. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Look what the Bible says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now notice, it doesn't say work for your salvation with fear and trembling. It says work it out. And look at what he says. Wherefore, my beloved, he is writing to these people as if they are believers. Because in his mind, they are. But you know the problem is? I don't know whether you're saved or not. I can't determine your salvation. Is that right? I can't be saved for you. I can't give you your salvation. And praise God, I can't take it away. Because some of you... No, I'm kidding. But... It's very important that you get this, that you must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? That means that you need to have a constant awareness of the presence of God in your life. If you can't look back at a time when you were saved, if you can't look back at that time and you remember what you did And what Christ did for you, if you can't remember that, you might need to be saved. You need to work out your own salvation. Why? It's a serious thing. Go go back to the book of Hebrews with me. It says here, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Salvation basics. Look at verse 30. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 30. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. That's God. Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense. That is payback. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Can we read that out loud together? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Salvation is necessary. Sometimes people will say, how could a loving God condemn someone to hell? He doesn't. The Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized shall have eternal life. He that believeth not is condemned already. You see, we deserve hell because we are sinners. 
So we saw in the Sunday school hour, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. There is no one here, humanly speaking, that is sinless. Every born-again person stands before God sinless. As the girl sang a few minutes ago, I stand before you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? I'm clothed in Hickey Freeman. Man, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is way better than old Hickey. That righteousness of Jesus Christ is vital. It is necessary. Because the only way that we can go to heaven is through the righteousness of Christ. Because the Bible says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Salvation is great and salvation is necessary. Now, the things that I've said so far, how many of you knew that already? These are like three people. How many of you knew that already? Salvation is great and salvation is necessary. These are foundational things. Do you realize how few Christians can express those things? Do you realize how few Christians ever lead anyone else to a personal relationship with with the Lord Jesus Christ? This week, we're going to be able to go out to the fair and people are going to walk up to us and we're going to be able to give them the gospel. How cool is that? We need to understand that salvation is great and that salvation is necessary. But here's really good news. Salvation is not only great and necessary, but salvation is permanent. It's permanent. Can we just look at a verse you might not have ever seen before? Go to John chapter 3. Look at verse 16. John chapter 3. Look at verse 16. Does anybody know this verse? Let's read it out loud together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have temporary life. What what does it say? Does it say temporary? No. It says everlasting. Anybody here glad that you're saved forever? Isn't that awesome? You're saved forever. I mentioned this in the training for the fair ministry this morning that it's cool to be able to say to somebody who has received Christ that there's nothing else you ever have to do to go to heaven. Now, do we want them to come to church? Yes. Do we want them to get involved in discipleship? Yes. Do we want them to tithe? We really want them to tithe. Yes. But do they have to do those things to go to heaven? No. Our salvation is eternal. That's pretty great. That is pretty great. It is eternal. Forever. You know, there are very few things in your life that are forever. How many of you remember the first car that you got? Yeah, how's that thing looking now? Right? How many of you wish you had the car that was your first car? I wish I could say that. My first car was a vet. Chevette. (laughs) Maybe the worst car ever made, man. It was terrible. Do you know that that car will never be a classic? (laughs) It's just one of those things that was awesome because I had a car. It was better than walking. But nobody wants that now. It is so interesting how many things that we really want, that we really care about. I remember, you know, when I was in high school, I wanted to get a new suit. The first suit that I... I had two suits when I went to college. One was okay. It was like a three-piece pinstripe suit. The other was a tan polyester leisure suit. 
with the platform shoes and the tie about the size of your fist, brown polyester shirt. I was happening. I looked like I came off of Saturday Night Fever or something. <laughs> it was terrible, man. I'm so glad. Now, first of all, it was like a 36 short, so I, I, I don't think I could fit into it anymore. But secondly, I wouldn't. How many of you would like to see me in that suit, though? <laughs> I wouldn't want it. it because why? The Bible says that everything that we have, this whole world, is going to wax old. Listen to what the Bible says. As doth a garment. Those clothes that you really cared about, that you really wanted, they're not going to be worth anything down the road. They're, they're, going to, they're not going to be worth anything. Your salvation from the moment that it takes place has eternal value. It is permanent. Isn't that wonderful? When everything else goes away, you will have that eternal life. That salvation is permanent. But let me say this. This is so important that we get this. Our salvation, we've got to be clear on it. So work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. If someone asks you, are you sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And then you ask you, why? Why are you going to go to heaven? If you don't know, if you're not absolutely clear on that, you need to work out your own salvation, listen, in fear and in trembling. Because it's an awful thing. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful and it is an important thing. Somebody might say, well, I don't want to be scared into, you know, into getting saved. I don't want to be scare me into getting... Why do you wear a seatbelt? Why do you lock your doors? Why do you take your vitamins? What, why do you do those things? Why do you put a coat on when it's going to be cold? Why do you do those things? Because you're afraid of the consequences if you don't do those things. Right? So people say, I don't want to be scared into, into getting saved. That's really an ignorant point of view. It's not a thoughtful point of view. You know, there are some things you ought to be afraid of. I was talking to my sister um, just this past week. It was her birthday. And we were reminiscing of going to the Grand Canyon when we were kids. And she said, I couldn't believe it. We stopped and you could walk right out to the edge of the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's a mile down. It's the craziest thing in the world. I remember her saying that. And they, this one area, they had this little railing. And I went and leaned on the railing, and the railing moved. I thought I was going to have a heart attack, and I was like 12. It scared me to death. You know, there's some things you're supposed to be afraid of. I think it was Bob Maxwell, who was a master electrician. He had learned it in the Navy, and he was working on our house. And I said to him, are, are, do you ever stop being afraid? Because i got to tell you, when I'm working with, especially if it's like a, a 220 or something, I'm pretty scared when I'm working with that. And he said, I asked him, do you ever stop being afraid? He said, when I stop being afraid, I'm going to stop doing it. You know, there's some things that you ought to be afraid of. Bob, are you ever worried about filling the wrong prescription or putting the wrong thing in there? You better never stop fearing that, should you? It's so, there are some things that we ought to be afraid of. Is there anything that we ought to be more afraid of than an eternity without Christ, without hope, without God, without anything that's good in a place of eternal torment? Is there anything we ought to fear more than that? 
That's why the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Are you sure? Do you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior? You see, there are two sides to salvation. One side is we're saved from sin and death. The flip side of it is we're saved unto Christ and unto eternal life. There's a, there's a positive side of it, and that's wonderful. And you get saved because of who Jesus Christ is. You don't get saved. Fearing hell has never saved anyone. There's like three amens there. That'll be a big amen on that. Ready? Let me, let me try this again. Let me prepare you. You ready? Fearing hell has never saved anyone. Amen. Only, good job. Only Jesus Christ can save us. But if the fear of hell causes you to turn to Jesus, praise the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. You know, there are some people that come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They recognize that they're sinners. They recognize that they need a Savior. And they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior without ever really contemplating hell. They're still saved because Jesus Christ is the way that we get to heaven, not a desire to heaven or hell. The issue is Jesus Christ. And yet, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God without the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And how do you get the righteousness of Jesus Christ? You get it through salvation. Now, let's look at a couple of things. Our salvation must be clear. Go to 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, and look at verse 13. These things have I written unto you that do a lot of good works. Is that what it says? Everybody be looking at a Bible. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may... What's that next word? No. no. Say it again. What is it? No. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. Now, notice it doesn't say that you might have, that it might come sometime in the future. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So, look at the process. Do you see any repetition in that verse? It's pretty interesting. So, he's writing to people that believe. So, Nathan, do you know for sure that you're saved? So, you know that. Do you know what that's going to help you to do? To believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you get saved by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you know that you're saved. And that knowledge of your salvation gives you greater faith in who Jesus Christ is. One of the things that Chad was talking about, I think he's gone back to the station. He was talking about how Brother Wiley had mentioned that one of Satan's greatest tools to keep you from serving God is to have you to doubt your own salvation to not know of where you are in that process. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. And he wrote this whole book of 1 John. And I think next Sunday morning, um, I, there's nothing special next Sunday, right? I think next Sunday I want to preach on the birthmarks of the Christian. The birthmarks of the Christian. How do you know whether or not you're saved? That's what the book of 1 John is about. And so what God wants us to have is confidence. He wants us to have that assurance. He wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are saved, that we are secure in Him. And the way that we do that, 
is we have to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have to believe that that salvation is a gift. Look with me at 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 19. And hereby we, what's that word say? Know that we are of the truth and shall, what's that next word? Assure our what? Hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Here's the problem. How many of you have ever doubted your salvation since you got saved? Anyone here? Pretty much everyone who's ever been saved. Why? Because we get away from the Lord. Because we recognize sometimes, I don't know about you, but there are times that the sin in me becomes so real in my life that I start wondering, God, can I really be saved? Isn't it good that my salvation is not based on my behavior? It's based on Him. How wonderful is that? Because you know what can happen to us? Our heart can condemn us. Our heart can condemn us. Do you know why their hearts are condemning them in this, t- in this text? Go up to verse, uh, look at verse 14. We know that we have, oh, look at that. Is that word Noah there again? You see that? Verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life. Look, because we love the brethren, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So what is that saying? That if you're saved, you're not supposed to hate your brother. And if you hate your brother and you live in that state, you're going to start wondering whether or not you're saved. I want to ask you how many of you hate somebody. I hated like 5,000 people on the road on the way back from North Carolina, (laughs) from Georgia. Whoso hateth his brother, verse 15, is a murderer. And do you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him? Look at this. This is so interesting. Look at the words. Hereby, what's that next word? perceive we the love of God. Now, can I ask you a question? Did God love you before you perceived it? So did your perception of that love create it? No. Your perception of His love has absolutely nothing to do with it. Look at what it says. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. How are you going to have the assurance of your salvation? When you're living right. When you're doing right when you're behaving right, when you're responding right, then it's all good. Everything's good between me and the Lord. You start walking in the flesh. You start living in anger and in bitterness. You start having uh, problems in your relationships. You get away from serving God. You get away from reading the Bible. You get away from prayer. And all of a sudden, I don't know whether I'm saved or not. Let me ask you a question. Answer it out loud. Is your salvation based on behavior? You see the problem that we run into? How many of you love the knowledge of the security that you have in Christ? 
You love that? So let's say you get away from the Lord. Is that, is that security any less secure? But your perception of it is. That's why it's so wonderful that salvation is of grace, not of works. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy He saved us. Grace, which is the gift. Mercy, which is us not getting what we ought to get. That's how God saves us, not by our behavior. So on this salvation basics, I want you to understand a couple of concepts and we'll be done. The first one is that salvation takes place at a point in time and is an exchange. It's a transaction. It's where I give Jesus my sin and He takes it. And He gives me His righteousness and I receive that. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. And look at verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore... If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All right? So when you get saved, all things are become new. Your sin's gone. Isn't that wonderful? Your sins are gone when you get saved. How did that happen? Verse 21. For he, that's God, the Father, hath made him to be sin for us. Who is that? Jesus. For God the Father hath made Jesus to be sin for us. Now look who knew no sin, Jesus was sinless, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Let's read it again. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So here's the way it works. I'm so covered up, this is me, I'm so covered up in sin you can't see me. All right? Jesus Christ is completely righteous, completely sinless. On the cross, God placed all my sin on Him. So that if you could see with spiritual eyes on the cross, if you could have seen Jesus, all you would have seen was sin so that I could be righteous. Do you remember? As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, you look at the serpent and live. You'd be bitten by the snakes. You look at the serpent and you could live. That's a picture of Jesus Christ. How in the world? The serpent was Satan. Jesus Christ said, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. How in the world could that picture of Satan, the serpent, be used to picture Jesus Christ? Because when Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross and the sins of the whole world were placed on Him, He was completely made sin for us. All of our sin was on Him. All of it. So here's what happens at salvation. All of my sin is placed on Him so that I am completely righteous and completely clean. Don't miss this. Forever. Forever. The new man cannot sin. The new man is completely sinless. 
The reason I don't perceive that sometimes is because my old man is so sinful and I'm still living in it. You young people, you need to understand clearly when you got saved. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, you are saved. You are passed from death unto life. We know that we have eternal life. Now, I started my message with this. If you can't look back at a time when that exchange took place, how many of you ever heard someone say this? I guess I've always known. I guess I've always known who Jesus is. Well, then you're lost. You're going to hell. Can I be any clearer? Can I be any plainer on that? If, If you think you've always been saved, you're not saved. Because that's a transaction. It's not a lifestyle. It's a transaction. It's something that takes place at a point in time. I was lost. Now I'm saved. I was in my sin. Now I'm in Christ's righteousness. That is an exchange. It takes place by faith at a moment in time. At that moment, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus alone, you are saved and you have eternal life. But if you don't remember when you did that, you need to get saved. But if you've done that, And you look back and you say, I don't know. I don't know. Listen, I never talk anybody into their salvation. If you're not sure whether or not you're saved, get saved. Well, I've done it three times. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. My favorite Bible verse on that is better safe than sorry. (laughs) Just make sure you're saved. You know, a bunch of our kids made professions of faith or got the assurance of their salvation at camp. And and parents, now listen, if you said this to your kids, I've not talked to your kids, so I don't know that you said it, so don't get mad at me, okay? You might say this, well, you were saved. I was there. I remember when this happened. You are not going to stand, like Brother Wiley said, when you stand before Christ, your parents aren't going to stand next to you and say, oh, yeah, he's saved. Amen? So... If, 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 the, if your child isn't sure and they get settled, it's not saying anything bad about you. It's not about you. So let them get it settled. But you young people, let me just make sure. If you remember when you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life, you remember doing that. You're saved. If you believed it. You know, Romans, look at 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have, what does it say? Received. And wherein ye, what? By which also ye are, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, look it, unless ye have believed in vain. Brother Wiley was talking about the danger of the sinner's prayer. And, And it's so true. Because if you just prayed a prayer to say the words and you didn't believe it, you're not saved. You've believed in vain. Y'all with me on that? You just repeat some words so that you don't go to hell, but you don't believe what you prayed. You have believed in vain. You need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Look back at your salvation. What was I believing? What was I trusting in? If you were believing that you're a sinner 
that Jesus Christ is God and He rose from the dead and proved that He was God and the only way you can be saved is through Him, if that's what, if that's what you're believing, you're saved. Amen. Amen? You don't remember what you were doing? You better get saved. You may be, but if you're not sure, work that out with fear and trembling. Now, if you've been saved, but you find you're distracted by the cares of this life, and you start to wonder, if you, if you stop perceiving the love of God, do you know what you need to do? You need to get the assurance of your salvation. 1 John chapter 3, we assure our hearts. Make sure that you're saved. Make sure. And then, if you're saved and you have found that your life is more entangled with the world than it is with the Lord, then what you need to do is rededicate your life to the Lord. Amen. You say, Lord, I'm yours. If you want me to be a preacher, I'll be that. If you want me to, whatever you want me to do, I'll do that. Give yourself to Him. Do you know that that's not salvation? Listen, I heard Curtis Hudson, old preacher, say this one time. Jesus always said, come unto me for salvation. Come after me for service. You have to keep those things distinct. Come unto me for salvation. Come after me for service. So let me give you the terms. Salvation is an exchange. It's a transaction where you give Christ your sin and He gives you His righteousness. Assurance of your salvation is, Lord, my life doesn't match what I said I believed. I want to make sure that I'm saved. That's getting the assurance of your salvation. Lord, I know that I'm saved, but I know that I'm away from you. I'm going to rededicate my life. I'm going to take up my cross and follow you. I'm going to live my life for you in whatever way you want me to do it. Three terms. Salvation, assurance, and rededication. You need to know where you are. Listen, I don't care if you get saved five times. I don't care. The key... No, can I qualify that you're only getting saved once but i don't care if you go through that process five times if that's what it takes for you to have the assurance of your salvation amen and don't ever let anyone mess with you because of that you know there are some people that get saved and they've never had a doubt i'm going to say something shocking to you i know that'll surprise you i never say anything shocking i'll bet you i have gotten the assurance of my salvation a hundred times you know why? Because I'm such a sinner. I'll preach the gospel somewhere, I'll get done, and I'll go to the Lord, and I'll say, Lord, I believe this. I'm telling you again today, I believe this. I believe this. I want to make sure. I believe this. Why? Because I am weak. Praise God. He's strong. I love the passage. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. He keeps it. I don't. Your confidence of your salvation comes as you live for Him. Your salvation has nothing to do with whether or not you live for Him. Boy, that drives the legalist crazy. But it is just true. Make sure you're saved. Live for Him. Amen? Do you know for sure that you're saved today?
Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.